Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Command Space. Um, I am Mike Hurley and with me today I have the one and only Mr. Lonely Sandwich himself, Mr. Adam Lisagor. Hello Adam. Hi Mike, I'm Adam. Hi Adam. How well I guess you just said that. I did. I apologize. Yeah, I'm, a little, I'm, a little, I'm a little awkward right now. That's okay, there's no need to be awkward. It, our, my Britishness is off-putting to most. Not at all, no, it's very, it's, it's very soothing. Good. Well, it's a real pleasure to have you here. Thank you for for being our ninth guest on on this show. Cool. Now, I mentioned right off the top that you are sometimes known as Lonely Sandwich. Well, I guess you are known online as Lonely Sandwich. Sandy to some close friends, I would believe. Where does where does Lonely Sandwich come from? It's quite a evocative name. Nom de plume. Exactly. That's my, it's, it's my nom de plume. <laughs> uh, let's see. I, I wanted to, early on when I was experimenting with being a presence on the web, first with Flickr, um, you know, you go through that awkward phase, usually in junior high, of trying to define yourself um, by some sort of a, a, a renaming device. I mean, we all probably remember our first nicknames our first handles on a bbs or a instant message and you know you can have this conversation for an hour with all of your friends about what your embarrassing first handle was on aol mine was chief broom when i was 16 um i think early on in uh in Flickr days which is where i first experimented experimented with publishing anything on the web um it was my my handle there was ratio uh because i was very like very self serious and i feel like i needed to say something metaphysically true uh in my handle mm-hmm. um which you know ratio is pretty, is a pretty good one and uh, it said something about my photographs because they all had a ratio and it was it was not taken on flickr so i used that one and then uh, you know, Flickr was what got me accustomed to, to to publishing on the web, which is you know quite a first step. And and Flickr was great because it gave you that feedback loop where people could join in on the conversation. That was wonderful. But at those in those days, which was probably two thousand six or so, uh, I was still I think uh, anonymity was still pretty important to me because mm-hmm. I didn't really have this clear sense that it was okay to be. Um, speaking freely in in that forum. Um, then when it was the, the first iPhone came out, and I wanted to write a review uh, about it, I wanted to write a, re- a review of the first iPhone, just like John Gruber had done. Yeah. Um, and so I uh, I asked my friend, "What's a good place to publish? Um, you know, how do I make a website or a blog or whatever?" Yeah, I think WordPress was one of the options, and I didn't. That didn't look too appealing, so I set up a Tumblr, and I had to think of a name for it. And I, for some reason, just Lonely Sandwich came to me, uh, and it it felt like a funny little twist on Lonely Planet, which is a travel guide. And I liked sandwiches, and mostly, I mean, the the most common explanation that I give to people when they ask that question, because it's a pro- pretty common question for me is that uh, the image of somebody eating a sandwich by themselves has always evoked a lot of emotion from me, whether it's good or bad. Um, they could be eating alone because they're 
forced to be and they're alienated from society or because it's the most pleasurable thing they could possibly experience. Um, for me, it can be either. Sometimes I eat a sandwich by myself and it's, it's um, you know, and it's pathetic. Um, but it really depends. And then it took off from, uh, you know, and then I created a Twitter with that, that name. And, um, it just, uh, it, it, it's, it became a thing. It became a thing that I was known by. And soon enough, um, friends of mine that I'd met through that, you know, through Twitter and Tumblr started referring to me simply as sandwich to shorten it. Mm -hmm. And I'm very comfortable with that, that handle. And, uh, I named my video production company after that too. You did, and we're going to talk, that sandwich video, which we will, mm -hmm. uh, we're going to talk, discuss that in a little bit. Now, I think that um, it would be argued, I guess, that your burst onto the scene came from a video that you created. <laughs> the way you say bursts makes it sound so uncomfortable. <laughs> your uncomfortable shift into the scene, <laughs> the the awkward fish stick like dance that you right. made onto the scene, was came from your. Uh, a video that you created before the iPhone had cut and paste, um, you created a video a showing, well, it was partly a, a sort of comedy video as you had. I don't know, I can't remember who that guy was, like the demo guy. His so, name was Bob Borchers. He was an engineering lead, I think, on the, um, on the iPhone team. And he was, they were doing like um, genius type videos, weren't they, at the time to kind of show some of the features Right, the guided tour, except rather than having the the uh, the convention of Johnny Ive and Bob Mansfield like just sitting and looking slightly off camera against a white background and saying deep, meaningful things, uh, it would just be a guy, a really friendly guy who looked as though he might be at the Genius Bar talking directly to you on the camera while demoing the thing. Yeah, I loved those. They were very straightforward and, and simple and, and beautiful. Because I guess we needed a little bit of, well, I guess we did need instruction then because the way that, that these phones were, the iPhone, the original iPhone was used, we'd never use, really used a device like that before. Sure. And, and it gave us a way of getting excited about the device maybe before we even had it in our hand. Yeah, because it was months and months um, before, you know, from announcement to release. Uh, right. Especially the, overseas as well. What? I, I, I was no sorry. I interrupted you. That's okay. No, I just said it was it was even longer for us in the UK. We had to wait. Even oh, sure, to that must have been excruciating. It was tough. Um, but what, but what those what those product demos said to me was that um, it was the way of generating the most excitement about having a thing in your hand by showing how it works, just in a very like in a way that you would show a friend how something works if they go, "Ooh, what's that? What's that you got there? What did you get at Best Buy?" And you go, oh, look, look at this button, look at this button. Mm. And you go, I want one of those. I'll go stand in line for it. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a very good way of putting it, actually. It's, it's just showing it off, isn't it? They were just showing it off to us. Yeah, um, the original iPhone commercials were sort of uh, uh, pioneering in that way. In that they, they really just they put a camera on a hand holding the phone, and people at home could could imagine that that was their hand and they were and that was their phone, and then they were going through the experience. So you created this, um, like a concept for how copy and paste could work at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and it also had a bit of, of comedic flair, especially that 
because you basically superimposed your lips over this guy's face right and you were narrating and there was obviously that great moment at the end where you, right. you just stick your tongue out and <laughs> you do you like that at the end of something like that was that the noise right <laughs> i don't know at the very end of it i I say i love you and that took that moment took to people by surprise um that wasn't the original idea the original idea was i was just going to cut my own head off and put it on bob's body oh wow a friend of mine though suggested that i should do the lip thing and it was a great idea um and the the challenge of coming up with a solution to copy and paste was just it was something that actually the blogger uh, Jason Kotke had proposed on his blog mm-hmm. um, before the iPhone had copy and paste. He said, "Well, so now we have this thing, and it's a really interesting design challenge or user experience challenge. Um, how would you foresee it?" And he opened it up to comments and. One, I, you know, and I left one of the comments and I explained this idea that I'd had. And then I, you know, I had a background in visual effects, so I went and mocked it up and recreated all of the UI stuff um, basically by hand, and and spent a few days making that video and comping my lips on Bob's face, which ended up being really funny. Yeah. And uh, that you know, to date, that's the most sort of. A "Quote unquote viral, virally successful thing that I've done." Looking back on on that video now, um, do you see it as like a, a a real starting point into your career in in the type of work that you do now? Yeah, I do, and I don't even I don't think I saw it at the time. It just made sense that there's this whole community of people getting really excited about tech, especially when the iPhone came around. And it was this very noticeable, heavy shift. Um, and then so many people with a background in making things interesting on video and YouTube was was still fresh and new at the time. And just the idea, and Vimeo um, introduced this idea that had been sort of promised by the web for a while but had not been delivered upon. Um, that anybody can distribute their interesting video project. The, and it just sort of made sense to me that video is an interesting way of, of showing what technology is capable of. I've always been fascinated by tech, not just movie-making tech, but te- tech in general. But uh, around that time, 2005, 2006, 2007, was really a golden age for the newness of tech. That's when they were calling Web 2.0 Web 2.0. Yeah. Uh, and all of these n- new possibilities were emerging. So I think that sort of the next thing for you um, that that came out of this would appear to have been "You Look Nice Today." Would that be Would that be right in assuming? I'm not really sure of the chronology, but yeah, I mean there there there's a lot of filler in there, which is just like me getting accustomed to having an online uh, presence and mm-hmm. and. Finally, you know, like using my my full name and things, and sort of wanting to actually aspiring to be known, um, and realizing suddenly that it could be an interesting self marketing tool, um, and just making friends, uh, making friends through those means, where all of a sudden this um, these self publishing tools were not just 
unidirectional. They were bidirectional, so we could appreciate each other's um, new abilities to self-publish. I've said self-publish. I've said self-publishing like eighteen times already on this podcast. Um, but all of a sudden, it was a two-way street, and we could just like wave at each other constantly and give each other little hugs. So, um, I don't know. Sociologically speaking, it felt like a really like different and new time. It was almost like the I wasn't alive in the '60s, but it felt like the '60s in, in terms of everybody just sort of like newly appreciating other people in a way that they hadn't gotten to yet. Of course, that's all old now, and it's and and we all are probably cold, cold to each other a little bit again. But um, back then, it was just like the most. Um, pleasing thing in the world to be able to see somebody that you'd met online in real life and take pictures of yourselves and brag about brag that you were hanging out with each other. Um, so that was a new time. And so with all that new friendship came creative partnerships of which, you know, you look nice today was one, but there are so many of that are still thriving, uh, among my circle of friends. So how did the, you look nice? How did you look nice today? come about for you um so my cohorts with you look nice today are merlin man um who is a who you've had on your show who's a podcast celebrity and um great writer and self-publisher and then scott simpson who was also one of those guys um scott until recently had been working for apple and uh in the uh uh, um specifically for itunes Mm -hmm. And he, uh, Scott and Merlin had been, well, Merlin was sort of an older school, old old school blogger type where he'd, he'd built up this, this 43 folders empire a while back and had this huge, massive following, um, because he had great ideas on how to, you know, use tech as a, as a tool for making your, your mind work better. Um, Scott was just like a funny guy and he was exploring being a funny guy online at the same time. Uh, so there was this there was this community of people that were wanted to crack wise and sit in the back of the class and be the, you know, and make fart noises because it's a really fun pleasing thing to do and we probably hadn't had the forum to do that since school, especially if you're working a corporate job and um, you don't give. You don't get so much opportunity to make people laugh, unless you take it. Um, Twitter and Tumblr, even Flickr, were these forums for a. No, I think forums to, for doing that, and so it. You know, it was this mutual appreciation of of uh, making each other crack up, that made us became made us become friends. So Scott and Merlin and I sort of naturally found each other. Uh, Twitter and Tumblr mm-hmm. and um, the idea came about to do a podcast because our friends uh, Jordan and Jesse, Jordan Morris and Jesse Thorne had this podcast called Jordan Jesse Go it was just uh, it, it had evolved out of a radio show that they did f- since college and we really liked the format where it was just free form, stream of consciousness they would follow certain conventions. They had little, and it's, this podcast is still going on, and it's and it's, and it's great. Um, but you always got that sense that they were f- friends goofing off and make, making each other laugh. And uh, 
Scott and Merlin and I wanted to do that as well. And we'd, we'd not spent a lot of time hanging out in person, but when we got on Skype together and started riffing, we naturally just sort of molded it into this universe that we, that was mostly, I feel like the brainchild of Scott. Cause he's, I think the most like sort of fictionally minded, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, he's the one who concocts fictional scenarios as just a matter of course throughout his daily life to keep himself interesting. Cause he's so smart, uh, interested. Did I say interesting? Cause he's so boring. <laughs> Um, he has to do it then. Is that what you're saying? Because yeah, it's boring. It's a survival skill. He has really. no choice. Um, what a snooze fest that guy is. So uh, we, yeah, I mean, like the original conceit. Once we still, once we started to form a, a mythology around the show, was that, uh, you know, every time we would record, we'd gather in, a, like a '70s era bedroom and sit on the water on the waterbed. And have like sort of a sweat lodge, and just like cry it all out. I have to commend you on the editing that that you did on the, I guess the first season, if you'd want to call it that, of You Look Nice Today. I know that <laughs> since it came back, it's sort of been <laughs> on monthly, right? Where it was kind of weekly ish before, right? And uh, I know how what sort of a toll that kind of editing can take, and it's really hard work. So yeah, it's. Uh, it's it's something to to be happy with, and I can see why you had to hand it over. <laughs> yeah, it was it was rough, but now um, it's all cut by this uh, a guy who works for me now, Claude Steins, uh, sitting next to me. Well, he's like eight feet away, but he's 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 sitting in the office here, and every month he he cuts it, and he's getting really great at it. Yeah. The first, I think he's done seven now, and the first um, the first handful. You know, I'd listen to the first cut and give notes, and just this this last one was the first time where he handed it over, and it was just perfect. It feels really great to be able to still keep that going and present them as fresh. But the the thing about it is that um, we were, you know, we we always wanted to make a show, and when you're making a show, you as as opposed to like a, say an interview format you're really doing yourself a favor by cutting it up and making everybody seem quicker witted than they are. Um, cause that's what they do in TV. Yeah. Why not afford the same luxury to your, to your own content? You're making it the best it can be. Right. Right. And you're doing the audience the favor of not having to listen to a bunch of awkwardness and garbage. Because as well, there's things that you can cut out people talking over each other and you can make the jokes better. Um, All that stuff, yeah. I mean, what they say, timing is everything, right? Mm-hmm. So if timing is not solid when you when it comes out of your mouth, then post-production gives you the ability to make that timing perfect. You sound like such a pro. <laughs> <laughs> you must be. Well, no, well if, if by pro you mean... Um, earning an income from it then definitely not <laughs> well i guess you are in, in the other stuff which i'm sure informs the audio which we're going to get to in a moment actually um but before we do that um, i must take this time to thank our sponsor for this show who makes 
command space possible, and that is the lovely fine folks over at Squarespace. Now, Squarespace give you absolutely everything you need to make an amazing website. They provide you with a completely managed environment that is fully hosted, um, and it can make it perfect for building your place online. It doesn't matter how experienced you are when it comes to building websites. With Squarespace, you can knock something together in minutes, and it doesn't look like it's held together with sort of sticky tape. Um, it actually looks beautiful, and that's because of the work that they've put in into creating some fantastic templates with their new uh, redesigned Squarespace 6. The templates are absolutely stunning. They're great to look at. They really are very clean, and they let your content do the talking. They're very adaptable too, and they have a fantastic set of WYSIWYG tools that allow you to make your site look like your own. You're able to change the colors um, of fonts and, and the background colors. You're able to add header images in, background images. and This is all done very, very simply. When you use Squarespace and you understand how you know their system works, which is very easy to pick up indeed, it does really feel like you're using something that is native to your computer and not something that's built in, you know, that is all online, it's all on the web. You can you don't have to worry about anything like hosting, scaling, or integration with social services like Twitter and Facebook. This is all taken care of again. It's all part of the package. With Squarespace, you only have to worry about dealing with the one company. You don't have to first set up a blog somewhere and then set up hosting. It's all taken care of, and that's the main thing that I love about Squarespace. I don't need to read tons of books to work out where to put something online. Um, it just does things very, very simply for me. The structure is great. The, the code is perfectly clean. They have amazing SEO. And they deal with image versioning as well for your responsive web design stuff. If you like stats, they have uh, real-time analytics that are built into Squarespace, and they have fantastic iOS and Android apps that allow you to manage this stuff and also post on the go as well. There's no credit card required to try out Squarespace. If you go to squarespace.com forward slash 70 decibels, you can start your two-week free trial. And if you use the offer code 70 decibels 9, that's 70-D-E-C-I-B-E-L-S-9 at checkout, you'll get an additional 10% off any of their plans. So I want to thank Squarespace for their continued support and for making this show possible. Thank you for that, Adam. I hope you're still here. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, here I am. <laughs> he didn't run away. This guy's commercial. Let's get out of here. Mm-hmm. So um, what I want to talk to you about now um, is Sandwich Video. Sure. So Sandwich Video is your video production company. Um, and it's, would, would it be fair to say it's like mainly a commercial? You, you do it in like commercials? Like advertisements? Yeah, it's, um, it's hard to put a label on them, but they're meant... Yeah, they're, they're, all, they're all meant to represent a product, uh, whether the product is free or or not, mm-hmm. um, it's meant to get people interested in using a product. So in that sense, yeah, they're commercials. So your first, um, I think probably your first r- real video, of like a, a, I assume the contract that you got, or at least the one um, that I was aware of first, was your video for Square. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if you if you watch it, and I've got a link in, in the show notes for this episode to Sandwich Video where you can watch all of these ads. Um, which are all fantastic, um, I must say. Um, y- if you watch the one with Square, the, the, a lot of the style um, in the video is the same as the style that's followed all the way through. Um, and people have called this like the sandwich video style. Um, mm-hmm. how, how do you feel like about your your creative style? Is it something that you intended, or is it just like this is just who you are? This is the type of stuff that you create. Yeah, I think it's a voice. Um, maybe it's a voice rather than a style. 
So okay. in that sense, you don't have much control of your voice. Um, even if you tried to, to, you know, really actively force a change to your voice, it's going to have some traces of your voice. Um, and if people approve of that voice, then it's a good thing. Um, and you can, I guess, develop that into a style. Maybe style comes from voice. I don't. I'm not. I'm not really sure. I'm making all that up. But I think uh, in at, at its uh, at a basic level, my voice comes from just having a sensitivity or a low threshold to. Um, uh, a low threshold to for for bull crap you know, um not bull crap in the sense of like oh, shoot i'm not putting this very well but you can always tell when somebody believes what they're talking about right um and i feel like it's it's easier to it's it's easier to pick up on um inauthenticity in the voice when in when when somebody doesn't believe what they're talking about and and most of what advertising is 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 less than a 100% certainty of of in in what in what um the person's talking about um and and consumers are savvy at this point enough to know the difference so i just don't have very much tolerance for when um someone's communicating something to me that, that they don't believe fully. And so that I think that's like, I, so I have no interest in doing any of that. I have no interest in communicating something that I don't fully believe. And, um, hopefully that's, that's what's crucial to my, to my voice or whatever the house style is. So I guess that it would be safe to say that you work with companies that you believe in as well. And, and that helps you talk truthfully about them. Definitely. Um, and m- maybe as much as believe in, um, have enough knowledge of what goes on behind the product in order to understand it. Because like I could, sometimes I get approached to do, um, t- to do maybe a video for uh, a, a CMS, a company that makes cool CMS or developer tools or, um, you know, maybe financial tools or like things that I know nothing about. And I can still sort of believe that they're going for the right thing and their heart's in the right place and everything. But if I don't necessarily understand why it's, why it's good or, or, or best, then, then I'm probably not going to be, um, come off as fully honest in communicating it. So it's pretty much, it's, um, it's almost even, tied in with my own shortcomings and in understanding a product. I think that Um, kind of probably makes the best for everyone involved that way, doesn't it? I guess, you know, they want, (laughs) they want a good, a good ad at at the end of the day. And if you feel like you can't do them justice, then it's best for everybody. I guess if you don't, if you don't do it for them. For sure. Yeah. I, that's the, that's, I think that's the nicest thing I can say or the most respectful thing I can say. Um, if I respond to an inquiry from a from a client by saying I, I'm sorry, it's probably not a good idea that we work together right now. It's because I'm going to probably not make you a, a great video that you're going to be happy with, and you're, you'll you'll feel dissatisfied and you'll feel like you wasted your money. Um, and usually, people are receptive to that. 
So the um, the video that you did with Square, I mean, that's a real great company to start with. Um, yeah, like that, it was pretty. It was pretty ideal. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, that's a, a a real great starting point because regardless of how great the ad was, people were going to see it, I guess, because of the company that it was for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it kind of took everyone by surprise at how cool the ad was. You know, like cool in a, this is great, and cool in a, you know, the, the style with the video. Well, there, or that somebody would de- dedicate the resources to communicate in that way, to, to communicate it in that way. Yeah, which is unique. or And I guess there is in a way, because people have tried i guess to replicate the the style but as you said it's your voice so people can't really replicate it as such i mean do you the the, the style that 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 you have have kind of implemented or, or not that's the wrong word to use but the style that you use do you think that it is I like implemented, actually okay we'll go with implemented the style that you, <laughs> the style that you have implemented um do you think that it's something that that others should try to emulate, or do you really think that it's you know that they should try and find their own voice? Um, yeah, well, I, as we were sort of talking about before, I think it's two different elements that that work together. So, yeah, I do. I, I enjoy it when when I see other things that are done in the style, the same style that I've implemented. Um, but hopefully, um, at the at the base of it is a voice that makes it unique. Um, I feel like everyone should always challenge themselves to figure out why, uh, if they're doing something, figure out why it, what is the same about about it that has been done before, and figure out how to not do that yeah. in the same way. Just just because it, um, it's an interesting challenge, and it's going to be perhaps more impactful if it's done in a different way. Not to say that you should always do things differently for the sake of differently but uh you know it's when things are new and fresh people pay attention to them more um we have a everybody has a threshold for shock um and when you see something recognizable in one sense it's pleasing because it's familiar but in the other sense it's it's old hat and it doesn't make much of an impact on you um, so yeah to, yeah, to answer your question, I find yeah, I I think it's an effective style for for communicating about a product. Um, uh, but you can tell whether it's done. You can tell the intention behind it, mm-hmm. like whether it's sincere. Yeah, whether it's done be, as a copy in a copycat sense, or whether it's because somebody feels that it is truly the best, um, the the best format for for presenting an idea. When a, a company comes to you uh, and they want you to 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 work with them on on a project, what is the, for the creative process? Do they come to you with ideas, or do you do you create something for them? Like, do they come with you and say, "We want this sort of thing in our, in our commercial," or or do you say, "Right, let me work on something for you," or is it mix of it's both? The, it's the second. It was very very rarely do they say, "Here's our idea. Can you do this idea?" Yeah. Um, and I really, in probably like nine, 99 out of 100 cases, I would encourage that we scrap that idea and start fresh and make something that 
um, will feel more authentic because it comes this because it comes from a like a true sort of understand like a a true new understanding of the thing that they're making but it but it has happened a couple times that the client will say here's what we were thinking for an idea and it's like oh yeah that's a perfectly natural way of 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 explaining this idea sure why not let's do that you have been a a character or featured in some some of the videos Mm -hmm. what is the choice that that is there does the client ask you to be involved in them or do you just think that sometimes you are best cast in the role um well at first with this with the square one it was a request from the client the the founder of square jack dorsey asked he he requested that i do the thing because um he had seen my one my my performance in my first video which was for my the iphone app that i developed with a friend which was called birdhouse and he liked that character and he thought it would be fun to have that same sort of character representing square although that's not something they would ever do now it's not even close to (laughs) corporate and stylish enough it was at the time it was very just like early adapter early adopter techie nerd friendly but now they've got like the, the starbucks yeah, okay. yeah. They're a big company now, right? They're a big payment sure. processor. They're not. Yeah. They're not like just the the like the yard sale. Right. Exactly. Their 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 product and brand is far more handsome now. So they require people that are pro- probably a little bit more refined and polished. Um, but in most cases, if if I'm in a thing like the the um, the last one that came out was. Over a year ago, I think it was for a web app called Small Demons, mm-hmm. um, and that was just because I had a true, strong f- feeling for the product. I just really loved it, and I presented it to the client. Can I be the narrator, the voice, and face of of this thing? Because I really love the idea behind it, and he thought it was a good fit, so we did that. And then I've I've just put myself on camera a couple weeks ago for eBay. For a new thing that they've that that they're introducing, um, and again, it was something that when they told me about uh, this is the second time I've worked with them now. But it, when it, it was something that when they told me about what they were working on, I personally got so excited about it that I was like, "Oh, I get, I want to be the one to tell my friends about this." You know that that's exciting for me. So I think, like for companies, you will probably. Um you will you will probably try and refute this but for for companies i think it's good to have you involved because when there is a a new sandwich video it becomes like an event online and people choose to watch the commercial which is a a rare thing i think these Mm. days so i guess it's kind of i mean just using your company is is a good thing in that way you know people want to see the the videos that you create oh it's 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 true it can be um, it can set the stage nicely for the product to be presented, but I'm like by no means am I the only or the best um, uh, source for this stuff. There are just like there are a lot of good companies mm. making these, and I think what's more true is that um, when a company puts the right amount of care and taste in in a video to present their product, then people are going to actively pursue learning about it. I um I put out a call on Twitter for some questions and I had 
a couple of people ask sort of about the the devices that you use. So a guy called Philippus Johnson asked, "What camera um, is your current camera of choice for for your videos, and what what is your video editing software of choice at the moment?" Sure. Hi, Philip. Um, so for so right now, I, I shoot most often with the Canon C three hundred, which is a uh, upper-level prosumer camera. I don't even know it be co- could be called prosumer, only in the sense that it doesn't cost like a hundred grand. Uh, it's a really nice camera that um, is basically like uh, they took the the Canon 5D Mark II and all the video capabilities in that, which had been sort of de- developed as an afterthought for stills photographers. Um, once they realized that people or filmmakers were using that that camera. As a, as a filmmaking tool, they decided to take what was great about that camera, um, remove what was awful about that camera for video people, uh, and put it all in a new sexy body um, with a lot more capabilities. Mm-hmm. And so when that camera was announced, I had to jump on it because for for all of my projects, I'd been renting, um, I'd been renting high end cameras. The from the uh, I shot a few times with the red. Uh, and shot um, a bunch with the Area Alexa, which is a great, great camera. And still, when I can afford it, I sh- shoot on that as a rental. Mm. But it makes sense financially to be able to own your own equipment if you can um, and rent it back to the production, make back some of your investment. And the Canon C300 is just a great tool for that. Um, it's got a really nice look. Uh, it shoots in... It, it's got... Um, uh, a really, really um, sensitive sensor that lets you shoot in super low, super low light, and boost up the ISO as high as, well, they say twenty thousand, which is a very, very, very high ISO. Um, but what that means is that for the first, it, it's sort of the first proof of this early concept that if you're shooting digitally, you don't need as much light. Uh, it's it's the first to actually sort of deliver on that um, that promise I feel like where uh, I've you know you, you even hear like really established DPs or as you call them DOPs or director of photography um, talking about it about that camera that they they really do find that they can light a scene with less light um, be more agile uh, shoot a little bit more quickly. I mean, like, it's not like you have to skip all the nuance that you have to that you put into everything. Um, and if I were to show you like some production stills from some of the sets we've had, where I'm shooting with that camera, you you still see a bunch of light everywhere. A lot, you know, lights because um, that always makes things look better. Uh, yeah, so C three hundred, I really enjoy, and then software we cut, we cut everything, Final Cut still, Final Cut seven. Okay. And you've not uh, gone to is it ten? Is it ten or is it eleven? Ten. Uh, well, the the new one is ten. Ten, that's it. But we don't use the new one. No. Do you think you will? Uh, eventually, probably yes. They've still got or, to add more things for you to to move over. Yeah, when you're when I feel like so, so we're moving so fast on so many projects at once that it's really not a conducive environment to be you know really learning new software that doesn't that that isn't really specifically analogous to the old to the older software you know already. So we're still on seven, and then we use After Effects, and I personally use Shake, 
uh, and a number of other tools. We had another listener. It's kind of like an offshoot of this question. Niels Herman. Um, he asked what your opinions are on DSLR video. Mm-hmm. Um, now, sort of from what you said, the, the, the capabilities of it seem quite good because of the camera that you've chosen, but maybe it doesn't work best for you when trying to create the videos that you do. Well, I think it's usually that it's DSLR has a certain look. Um, and that look can both be a function of the camera itself, but it can also be a function of how easy it is to get to get a, a great image without um, without all the light that you would have in a um, in a in a in a normal production environment. And I think that's the biggest contribution of the DSLR is that it's it's you know it's getting us closer to being able to sh- shoot film like. Um, capture film-like images at 24 frames per second or 25 um, with really nice resolution and really nice color range and um, you know it just gets us closer but as a result as a byproduct of that ease of use you're also it's you'll see that DSLR has a specific look where you can always tell that it's DSLR Um, personally I love it um, but it's um, but but make no mistake, you can still get, you know, still there are still better ways. Um, a question from an up and coming podcaster by the name of Dan Benjamin. He wanted to know why are you so suave? Oh right, I don't. Really um, I saw that question from Dan Benjamin. <laughs> um, that's an interesting. I, I mean, I, I think it's just genetics. It's a combination mm-hmm. of genetics and, man, you know, just my manner. I think that um, I strive to, to to present a an, uh, sort of an air of masculinity and seriousness in everything I do. Right. Um, I I, uh, I try to stand tall and keep my posture mm-hmm. um, uh, respectable, mm-hmm. um, so that so that pe- people people will consider me an authority on all, all in all matters of taste and um, general good grooming good, general, well no I wouldn't quite say that beard grooming I don't think that suave I don't think that suave and good grooming have to go <laughs> hand in hand um, so my my girlfriend and I have talked you know she my girlfriend is a has a blog called nerd boyfriend uh, which is a it's a men's style inspiration blog and it's quite re- well read yeah um and so she and i will talk about who you know why certain people's style is so success so successful and um who are good icons of style for specifically for me and the one that she came up with that i really love is rick rubin who's a record producer um he's got a big old beard he's kind of got a you know he's got a gut. He's sort of a sloppy man, but he always just—he always looks awesome. He'll go out to a red carpet event wearing slippers and Bermuda shorts and a tuxedo top or something. You know, he'll—he just always looks um, like halfway insane and and halfway really well constructed. And uh, I think he's suave. So what we have learned today, if, if there's one thing people can take away, is that a good 50-50 mix between insanity and classiness brings about suave. Yeah. Good. Well, that's a good takeaway for everyone, I think. 
and uh, just be to be true to yourself, right? It's a, exactly. it's a, it's a. I think that's the underlying theme is, is voice leads to style, but they should, they should, they should influence each other. So I hope that Mr. Benjamin can take away some good tips from that. <laughs> I'm one, sure he will. There's one last thing that I have to ask you before you let, before I let you go because you commented that it was a good question, and this comes from Michael Tafias. And he asks what your favorite uh, Saturday, Saturday Night Live parody commercial is. Right. Okay. Um, so I grew up in the age of, like in the, in the, in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s era of SNL um, with the like Adam Sandler, Chris Farley. I, w- I will say David Spade because he was there, but I'm not a fan. That crew. And so the one that comes to mind is like they did a – well, there was like three-legged, three-legged jeans. Levi's three-legged jeans was one of my favorites, and then um, there was like a Budweiser commercial spoof called Schmidt's Gay. Do you remember this one? I have n- never seen Saturday Night Live because I am in the United Kingdom. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, <laughs> we they don't show it here. It's not, not shown anywhere. Okay, all right. Which is a shame. Um, I, I wish that that well these these commercial not necessarily the show itself. I mean this, the show is a treasure, of course, It's a national treasure. Um, but the commercial spoofs I, are, as artifacts, are just, I think, are, are fair to say is, like, anyone can appreciate them. Yeah, I mean, I've, if I've ever seen clips, um, I have always enjoyed them. Uh, yeah. Like, for example, I'm loading up the clips that you have mentioned to put into our show notes, and they're on NBC's website, and I cannot view them because ah. of geographical restrictions. Oh, that's so lame. Yeah. So this is this is the problem, you see. Right. Um, no. Um, I wish that I could send you like a VHS or something. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't advise there, that. The one that comes to mind is is a is a Budweiser beer. You know, like one of those spoofs of. You can think of a Bud a Budweiser commercial where everything's really hyper masculine and over the top, like sexy bikini lady and everything. Especially in the '90s when there was very little sense of irony. Um, and this is like a it's one of those but halfway through this the spot you f- you figure out that it's a they're marketing this beer specifically to gay men um but it's got all the conventions of the typical bro bro filled bud commercial uh, except then the p- the pool is filled with bi- bikini brief clad men <laughs> and chris farley is like you know, doing the glasses, the Ray-Ban tip to check out some dude's package. Uh, <laughs> that That's fun. That's fun. I'm Does sure get, that oh. they're on YouTube somewhere. I'll, oh, I'll, I'm I'll sure. Yeah, Schmidt's them. gay. What What else? There was Colon Blow, um, <laughs> which is a cereal that has so much fiber that, it'll, that it's called Colon Blow. <laughs> a breakfast cereal. I think Phil Hartman narrated that one. God rest his soul. Um. Yeah, it's uh, you know the, I have a friend. This uh, a friend of mine, Peter Atencio, is a director. Who do you guys have? You gotten Key and Peel in a series, a, a comedy series called Key and Peel in the UK? I've never heard of it. No. Uh, um. It's uh. It's on Comedy Central, which is the big comedy network here, and it's um. It's created by two half black guys who were previously like on MTV uh, on a mad TV together are uh, really funny guys 
and my friend Peter directs the whole series. Is they, they just finished their second season, and uh, I heard an interview with him where he's talking about directing the show. And what's remarkable about the way he directs is that everything that is a parody or a spoof looks exactly like the thing that it's spoofing um, because he puts that amount of care into it. And uh, that's what, and he specifically references the SNL commercials because they were so, they were so good at being exactly that, that they would, um, they spoke the language so authentically and well um, of the commercials that they were parodying that you almost couldn't tell when, except for the traces of the laugh track that you heard fading off as the commercial started, you almost sometimes couldn't tell whether it was a real commercial break or an SNL commercial. Which I guess is, that's what makes them so great, I assume. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, because there are lots of sketch shows and there are lots of sketch parody commercials, but they're normally shot like a sketch and you're and it gives up the gag and it makes it less funny indeed now mr sandwich it's been a it's been an absolute pleasure to talk <laughs> i'm to sorry you today. i stepped over you want to try that again no what did it's okay the the mixer cut you out did i did i did i uh, ruin anything great you said oh no not at all no wait it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you today <laughs> again i did it again <laughs> we could just keep doing this should we just keep it like 20 minutes later we're still trying to say goodbye to each other you're trying, still trying to do your outro and i'm still <laughs> trying to make a dumb joke would you like to make the joke now um i can't think of it anymore i forgot it i guess it loses the timing when it's invited as well right so where what is the best place that people can can go to find your work and, and all in all its forms certainly but my work is probably well my professional work is all at sandwichvideo.com and then if you go to myname.com adamlissigore.com you can find me everywhere else you know just that's where I collect like some of the writing I've done like links to external things like you look nice today um, and if I've done interviews then th- there are links there so that's kind of my my ego site Otherwise, sandwich video and uh, Twitter at Lonely Sandwich. Excellent. Yeah, it's been it's been absolutely great to talk to you today, and uh, I'm I'm really pleased that you took me up on my offer. It's uh, it's been it's been good fun. Oh, thanks so much, Mike. Have a great day. Thank you. So, um, thank you all for listening to this week's episode of Command Space. Next week, we are going to be joined by Mr. Tom Merritt of Twit. So. Another another new guest for the show, so I'm sure that will be another excellent episode. So um, until next time, thank you very much for listening, and bye-bye. Bye.